God, help me to be faithful and clear and efficient for your glory and today our comfort. Amen. So the basic point of this, when you look at Acts 14, is we're going to get it to where Paul is now going through and sharing the gospel in these different situations. And they, we're going to see three obstacles to mission, three things that get in Paul's way. And what I don't want you to miss is there's a consistent theme in how Paul faces these obstacles and what that means for us. And so I'm basically going to give you the whole sermon here in two minutes and then as long as I have your attention, I'll unpack it, all right? So the whole sermon is basically this. In the themes of when we face obstacles and trials, when you are out on, on mission, when you're saying, okay, I'm sent, I am God's, I exist for him, then like here I go, and then these obstacles hit, there are a couple of really key themes. One is we have to realize it's not about you. It's not about you. We're going to see Paul be slandered, and people will slander you, but it's not about you. You'll see people want to praise Paul, and people will want to praise you as you do the work of the gospel, but it's not about you. You'll go through physical hardship. We'll see Paul physically beaten, and there'll be things that you, roads that you will walk that will be physically hard, and it will seem completely unfair. It's not about you. As long as you see yourself as the center of the universe, even if it's your own little universe, even if you acknowledge I'm not the center of the universe, but I am the center of my universe, as long as you see that, then none of this will make sense. The slander, the avoiding praises of men, the physical hardships, none of it will make sense if you are the center of your world. It is only it only makes sense in light of the fact that we exist for him. We were created by God and for God. And until we understand that, Rick Warren was fond of saying that until you understand you were created by God and for God, none of life will make sense. And the other theme that we'll see is it's worth it. Because even if you cognitively can understand and grasp even if you come face to face with your own frailness, your own, like, your hopes and plans not succeeding the way you thought they would, even if you can grasp that, it will not bring you any comfort or joy if you do not believe it's worth it. That God's plan for your life, that his design and how he would use you for his glory is worth it. If you don't believe that, then you will be crippled by bitterness and resentment and lack of joy. You will at best be a begrudging servant who does what the master wants because you have no choice. But God has something better. And what we'll see is what the enemy means as an obstacle, God means as opportunity. And that right there is the most self-help pastory thing I will ever say in my life. So if you're wondering, like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, I, I couldn't resist. Because we see the truth in this. What the enemy means as obstacles for you in the work of the gospel, 
God is actually building a platform and giving you an opportunity to declare his glory and shine that light even brighter. Okay, I'm doing good so far. Acts 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So the first thing that we see is Paul running up against slander. The work of the gospel will always be met with people trying to confuse it and slander it and mischaracterize it and twist it so as to discredit it. And I'll be honest, I, I, this is, I, right off the bat, I'm looking at this and going, oh, I'm so weary of this. You're picturing this situation where Paul is sharing the gospel. People are being changed. They're believing it. But there are all these people around going, yeah, but that's not really how this works. And well, you know, when he says this, that's not really what that means. And I don't think that's what he meant by this. And well, what about this verse in Deuteronomy? Like, are you saying that that doesn't matter anymore? And I just, I felt it deeply. Don't you feel that deeply as you look at like news media outlets and social media that they just twist and mischaracterize the words of Jesus, use them for this purpose or that purpose, and you're looking at them and going, that, that's not the gospel. Why, do you, why are you confusing it? Why are you doing this? I mentioned a couple weeks ago about the charge against us that we've gone liberal and I was nervous about even saying it because I was like, well, what if that's not really something people are concerned about or whatever? Well, the response I got afterwards showed me, oh, that was definitely something I needed to say because several people said, yeah, I've, I've heard that. And it's, it's discouraged me. It's been confusing. And just to understand, like, that's the goal of those kinds of charges and accusations. They're not substantive. They're just meant to confuse and to discourage and to question and so some people actually said to me, they're like, you know, I, I heard that. And I said, well, what, what do you mean by that? Can you give me an example? When you say that, I, I want to hear what you have to say. What do you mean by that? And, and they said, they, they, they don't have an answer. And you see, like, it gets revealed. Like, no, it's just this fear that just, you want to cause confusion. But that's not the only way that Slander is an obstacle. Slander is an obstacle certainly to the, the, the credibility of the gospel, mischaracterizing it, causing confusion around it, um, painting it in a different light than what it actually is, perverting it. But they will also slander not only, they will slander not only the message, but also the messenger. You. And I don't think anybody understands this better than people who live in small towns. I really don't. Here's the thing about living in the city. Like, you may know, like, I'm a city kid. I grew up in the city. I, um, in, in a metro area. Yes, Des Moines is considered a metro area. Um, and I, I then lived in, in Orange County, in California, and Denver. Here's the thing about cities. 
At any given time, you can change 90% of your relationships like that. You can go to a different grocery store, go to a different school. Even if you work at a job, you could probably work at a company that's big enough that you can you know, get to a different position. You can move houses. You don't even have to move houses. You can just talk to different neighbors. You can start hanging out with the block behind you rather than in front of you. A lot of times in cities, you're not close to extended family. And so what that means is if you come to Christ, and we saw this all the time, people would come to Christ, they would turn away from their past, and they would walk into church, they would share their testimony about how, for example, they used to be a bully in high school and even into adulthood, and they used to bully people, and they just had repented of that and asked for forgiveness. And they are met by people who say, that's amazing, praise God, you are not that person anymore. But what happens when you're in a small town and you have that same testimony, but the people you bullied are in the congregation? It's harder to get away from it. And so you'll have people who will say, yeah, that's not who you really are. Oh, you think you're this religious person now. You think that you're going to follow Jesus now? Well, I know who you really are. I know what you've done. And it just grips you and holds on to you. I've often said about living in a small town, just the experience of it is that everyone thinks they know you, but few people actually know you. And many of you have that testimony. A lot of people know about you and think they know you, but they don't know you. And we have an incredible opportunity in that. That as people bring slander, that we can say, no, this is real change. Because people will tell you that, they, that you can't. They will seek to discredit your testimony. And the response that Paul has here, and he'll have it in other places, just keep preaching the gospel. Be humble, be repentant, be soft-hearted. And remember, it's not about you. It's about what he has done for you. I had a good friend who came to Christ in our a church in Colorado, and he was in this situation. He actually was a manager of a big retail store. And he had a radical conversion to Christ. And so he had this, like his store was basically a small town. He had tons of employees and they all knew him as this guy who was, you know, he was driven and everything, but he was, he was hard on them. And, and, also, and so he said, and, and he lived a certain life that was just, and he had this radical transformation. And he said to me, he's like, Jay, everyone's calling me a hypocrite. They won't listen to what I have to say because of all the things I've done in my past. And he's like, I keep trying to tell them, like, I, I, no, I'm not a hypocrite. And I responded to him, I said, but you are a hypocrite. He's like, what? I say, you are. And so am I. And so are we. Because here's the definition of a hypocrite. Merriam's Webster defines hypocrite as, I can't find it. <laughs> oh, a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. Person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. Does that describe anybody in here? This week? Today? On the drive to church? <laughs> Every time we worry, we are acting in contradiction to our stated beliefs that God is in control. Every time we judge someone, we act in contradiction to our stated beliefs that we are not to judge one another. And so our response to that is not to give in to it, but to just embrace that and say, you're right. This is why I need Jesus. 
This is right. You're, you're right. All those things that you said about who I was and what I did, you're right. And that I still struggle with that. And here's, here's the thing. This is why God is so good. This is why his grace is so profound. Because he saved even me. And that right now he has saved me and called me his own. And I'm learning how to walk in this new identity. That's a great thing that you can show. And what it's doing is you're pulling the, the focus off of you. This isn't about me. It's about him and what he's done. He's already called me his own. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That is our call. He has made me his own. And so I press on. Second obstacle we're going to see is the praises of men. It's like the opposite problem. So one problem is everyone's going to talk badly about you and slander you to try to discredit you. The other obstacle that we're going to see is that they're going to praise you too much. They're going to give you too much credit. In verse 8, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. You picture the scene? But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out of the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. That is a crazy situation I wish I could go more in depth to. But can you imagine the horror for Paul and Barnabas, especially after what just happened to Herod, who took the glory for himself, and then he is eaten by worms, and then he breathes his last? And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 no. Do not give us the credit. We are men. We are not gods. Now, if we're going to apply this, the, the, the praises of men, most of us don't have people trying to offer sacrifices of oxen in front of us. Oxens? Whatever. Oxen in front of us. Right? There's, there's no, nobody's, nobody's having that kind of situation. Nobody's building statues to most of us. Although it does happen. But it happens in many subtle ways that are much closer to our heart. Like for some of us, it happens when we pursue recognition we may not want people to offer sacrifices to us and call us gods, but we sure want them to know what we have done. We want them to know how godly we are or that how big of a burden it was that we, that we served, how faithful we are. We want credit for the things that, that we have done. We live for 
compliments. We really want somebody to say thank you. And if they don't, we're offended. We want them to think of us as good people. If they don't, we get nervous or anxious about it. And we do that because it, it feels good. It's tempting. I was just actually sharing this with somebody that early on when I was in my preaching ministry, I was crippled by this kind of thing. I would preach a sermon, and if after the sermon, um, I, I wanted people to say, like, oh, you're, that was a great job. I mean, I started, I started preaching, the first time I preached a sermon was when I was 14. And when you're 14 years old, you just want people to tell you a good job, and you do a good job. And you know what? When you're 14, they say you do a good job just because you got up there and you said something. And so they'd be like, oh, you're so good at this. You should totally do this. That just meant, I can't believe a 14-year-old did that. I didn't learn that until I was 19 and 20 and was preaching messages and realized they're judging me as a man preaching God's word, not as a little boy. And they'd kind of be like, eh, not so great. I'm like, wait, what happened? Oh. And so then I would try to preach messages that people would, I mean, I wanted to be faithful to God's word, but I also, I, I didn't realize how much I needed that. And then when I realized I, I wanted that, I wanted them to see how hard I worked on it and to say it was good. And once I realized that I hated that, like, I hated that feeling, and so then I didn't want to hear anything from anybody. And so what would happen was I'd get done preaching a sermon, and if you came up to me and you said, that was a great sermon, I would immediately think, you're lying. And, it would, and, and if, it, if I believed it at all, I would, like, hate what that would do in me, and so I hated that. And if you came up to me and said, eh, that wasn't so good, it would crush me. And if you came up to me and you said nothing at all or asked about lunch, I was like, that's ah, probably because it was terrible. Do you see what's going on there? It's all about me. It's all about me. I did not experience freedom from that until I realized it's not about me. And so I started to experience that freedom when I just realized, God, this is you. It's for you. I just want people, I want people to be stirred for affections for you and whether they think it's good or not. Like, I just want to be faithful to you. And once I started doing that, I was set free from those things. I was able to actually meet with people because what I was doing for a while is I just run away from everybody because I couldn't handle any of it. And now, like many of you have an example where you come up to me and you say, like, that was really great. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna deflect that, not because of some false humility, it's because like praise Jesus that he did that in you. And some of you, many of you have the story of coming up to me and be like, that was too long. It didn't, you know. I'm like, okay. Sorry. I don't I don't worry about that. Because what I'm concerned about is being faithful. But it's still, these are battles that we face, right? It's, it feels good. It's, it's tempting to pull that in. So you might think, well, how do you, how do you deal with that? It's, it's not about you. And here's one of the phrases. A missionary friend of mine said this to us one time. When you're tempted to take credit for something that you're like, you know what? This really, this is God's glory. I need to not have anything to do with taking the credit for this. He would say this to us. He, would say, he said, don't take the credit because you can't handle the responsibility. If you take the credit of being the Savior, if you take the glory that is meant for the Savior, then you have the responsibility of being a Savior. And you and I cannot handle that responsibility. Jesus is the only one. And so that's what's happening here with Paul and Barnabas, right? They're all looking to them and saying, these guys are our deliverer. These are gods. And they're thinking, we can't handle that. We can't save anybody. And they tear their clothes and say, no, 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 Jesus. And they preach the gospel. 
So I want to, like that obstacle, just don't be, don't fall asleep about that one. When someone says, you're so, you're such a good person, or you're so kind, or whatever. By the way, feel free to receive a compliment. You don't need to be a jerk about compliments. You don't have to like tear your clothes when someone says you're nice, all right? Please don't. But it's a great opportunity to redirect towards Jesus and the gospel. So when someone says, thank you for bringing this meal, that meant so much to me, like, that was so kind of you. We really needed that today. Then you can say, isn't our Father great? That he knew you needed that? I didn't know you needed that. Like, I'm not God. I don't know, like, I don't know what you need. I didn't know what you needed. But God knew, and so he just moved to me, and I'm just being faithful to him, and praise Jesus that he cares about you that much. If someone credits your parenting because your kids are, are great kids. You say, hey, thank you. Isn't, I'm just so thankful for the work God is doing in their lives. I'm so thankful for how God designed them. And you know, you know what parenting's like. like. You're just trying not to mess them up. And you just want to point them to Jesus. And, and you could even say, turn to that and, like, you know, and say, hey, could you, could you pray for me? If you think about praying for me, that's one thing is I want to constantly point them to Jesus and not place their value in how they perform. Like there's ways of redirecting it in a really gracious way that doesn't make the person feel dumb for giving you a compliment, but clearly states, this is because of Jesus. All right, last one. You're going to think I'm doing really great until you realize the conclusion is the longest part. Um, <laughs> verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders from, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. If you did not catch what just happened there, let me help you. They beat him to within an inch of his life. They assumed he was dead. They stoned him to the point of death. And he got up and went back to the city. Are you kidding me? He returns to the very places where he had just been stoned, presumably to death, to strengthen and encourage the church. And maybe we can relate to slander. Maybe you could see where I was going with praises of men. But how in the world do we relate to this? And we know the stories. Elizabeth Elliot going back to the tribe to share the gospel, the tribe that had murdered her husband. I have friends, a friend who was set to be executed by his own father for converting to Christianity, and God spared him. 
You know, another man years ago who, when converting to Christianity, he was beaten to within an inch of his life by his own brothers, tied to a tree, and beaten and left for dead by his own brothers. And each one of those people got up and proclaimed the gospel. Now look, one takeaway that we can have from this is that we need to keep going even in the face of physical hardship and other hardships like this. We have a tendency, especially in this country, to think if something is hard, then it must not be God's will. Like, we'll communicate God's will by, like, you know, the easiest path. And, like, well, God is opening doors, and it was so clear. It was made so clear, and everything fell into place. And there is something to be said for that. God often does work in that way, and praise God that he does, that he is so kind. But that is not the only way he works. Obstacles and hard roads are not automatically a sign that that is not the road you're supposed to be going down. The key is to remember it's not about you. I mean, if these things are happening today, these things are happening all over the world right now. People are asked to walk very hard roads that you and I cannot even imagine for the sake of the gospel. I just want you to hear that in that, even though we, not, we may not be being dragged out or our homes burned down, that does not mean that we do not face physical suffering or hardships or hard roads that we do not want to walk down. But I just want to encourage you, brother, sister, that hard road is not evidence that God is not holding up his end of the bargain or that he is not with you. It is an opportunity to taste and see that he is good and shine your light even brighter. And I do not say that flippantly because I know the hard roads that many of you are on or have been on. But even if you know you should, how does Paul actually keep going? Why does he keep going? As people lie about him and make his life difficult, as he is tempted with the praises of men, as he's literally beaten to within an inch of his life, we know he should keep going. And even when we're on those roads, we know we should keep going. But how? Why? Because it's worth it. And we come back to that full, full circle to this point. It is worth it. And if you don't believe it's worth it, you will not get back up and go back into that city. You will not be able to resist the temptation of the praises of men. If you do not believe is the worst is worth the loss of all things. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If you do not believe it is worth the loss of all things, you will not last. It is the secret to contentment and joy Paul says this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We've said this before, but when an apostle through the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God says, I've learned the secret to facing all these circumstances, we might want to listen. We listen to TED Talks when they say they have the secret to productivity. 
We have the secret to raising happy kids. We have seven happy hops. When Paul, speaking on the power of the Holy Spirit, the authoritative word of Scripture says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's the secret? Christ. Abiding in Christ. I can do all of it through him. If we don't believe it, we won't last. It's David Livingstone, the great missionary who gave up everything to share the gospel in Africa, saying, I never made a sacrifice. It's Jim Elliot, Elizabeth's husband, before his death at the hands of those he shared the gospel with, saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And it is my mom, when facing death and cancer, when describing the relationship that she had with Jesus in those dying days, saying, I would have never chosen this, but I would never trade it. Whatever road you are on, it is worth it. Jesus says it is worth it. Paul says it is worth it. Jim Elliot says it is worth it. My mom says it is worth it. We proclaim he is worth it. That's why we don't uphold just principles. They are not worth it. Political philosophies are not worth it. Praises of men are not worth it. Positive thinking is not worth it. Riches are not worth it. Jesus is worth it. The kingdom is worth it. You overcome slander by knowing that God sees you and by believing Jesus when he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Why are you blessed? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You overcome the temptation of praises of men because you believe the praises of God are far better because you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And you overcome physical hardship because you believe it is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. As Paul says, to do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, that's what he called hard road of imprisonment and slander and being beaten to within an inch of his life. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, are seen are transient, but the things that are seen, unseen are eternal. In short, you overcome these obstacles by believing he is worth it, that his promises are true. And that's why we say what the enemy means as obstacles, God means as opportunities. They are opportunities to experience that he is worth it, to taste and see that he is good, even in the hardest roads, and the ability to declare to a lost and hurting and confused world that he is worthy. That is our calling. These are the roads that God has called us on. And if we would believe him, these hard roads will produce in us a deep love for him and from him 
And through that, we will see many wonderful things as we wait for glory. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us, God, to be mindful of these truths and to believe them, to understand them in our, in our minds, but to believe them in our hearts and to love them so that we might persevere and live not in contradiction to what we say we believe, but in alignment, knowing that we press on and that you are with us and that you are sanctifying us and that we are being shaped even as we learn, even though you've already done this in us, we are also learning to live like this. Give us strength, God. Encourage our hearts for whatever road lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.